to the Cinema Syndicate Podcast, the best movie review show on the internet that spreads its hot take tentacles all the way from the West Coast to the East Coast. I am Matthew Scott, and I am joined, as always, by my good friends from the West Coast. We got Mr. Preston Pokebarns. How you doing, Preston? Right on, fellas. Doing well. And as we move all the way to the Central Time Zone, we got Mr. Joe, Joe Ray Fine in New Orleans. How you doing, Joe? Bonsoir, mes amis. How we doing? <laughs> And we got Mr. Budge Husky living it up in Washington, D.C. How you doing, Budge? Doing well, gentlemen. I'm uh, finally back from my walkabout out west, so it feels nice to be back in the city. Um, Smelling a pinol. That's right. <laughs> I don't know if the listeners really know about your previous walkabout, but they're just going to have to live in that mystery because we're not going to get into okay. that story. But we got some huge news for all the listeners today. We are officially announcing that we are a part of the Boot Crew Media family. We just mm-hmm. signed on to this podcast podcast network media corporation out of new orleans louisiana so we're super super happy to be joining boot crew media if you never heard of them it's about to be really big about to be blogging they've got tons of other podcasts on there i think it's probably like 10 other podcasts we're happy 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 to be a part of the family um today we are doing sicario the 2015 Denis villeneuve and taylor sheridan uh what do you want to say spy not spy but uh action western yeah action thriller i don't know action thriller sicario with emily blunt josh brolin and the always menacing benicio del toro uh but before we do that we always like to do our marquee picks and since this is sort of a border war kind of drug cartel versus fbi with a little cia mixture involved we're going to do our favorite drug dealers of all time in movie and tv shows so we're going to start off with mr joe ray fine since joe uh picks sicario for us joe Let's start with your top three favorite drug dealers. Well, gentlemen, this is one of those subjects where you can have suspicious expertise on, and those <laughs> out of land may, you know, derive some conclusions. But be that as it may, those out there of you listening in listenership land, listeners, just take it with a grain of salt. So, <laughs> number three. Everyone in Canada is going to think Joe knows a little too suspiciously much, and then you're going to get your passport blocked the next time you try to cross the border. Basically, we know some things. <laughs> picks are based off knowledge. Well, well, maybe. Maybe. May or may not be. Number three is probably going to be on a lot of people's list on this podcast because it's a classic character. And who I'm talking about is Thurgood Jenkins from Hatton. Yeah. <laughs> Um, everyone's favorite weed dealer. I mean, if you could be in the town with Thurgood Jenkins, you were you were you were living right. You you never never were found wanting because he had you covered. And it's one of the funniest movies, you know, in high school that I can remember. And I don't know how you boys feel about it, but I mean, it's just got so many quotable moments in it that you really can't. It's hard to pick one. I think it's right uh, before like Dave Chappelle really, really exploded onto the scene, but everyone knew he was a Mondo talent from yeah. the get-go. I mean, he was he was I shouldn't even say that because that was right when he like got into movies. He was already doing like stand-up specials, opening for huge acts by the time he was like 19 or 20. But he sort of this is sort of I guess one of like his first movies where he just really sort of grabbed the national attention. He was already big on the stand-up scene from a really young age. But sorry, Preston, for jumping in there. No, I, th- I think it, it definitely like put him into the mainstream, and it was also just kind of one of those movies that like showed like a drug dealer doesn't have to necessarily be this like awful, vicious, like 
terror of a person. <laughs> it's just like this uh, pretty funny, like harmless stoner janitor. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's so, so funny that movie. I, I don't know. I can't remember if any of y'all are there, but I think I had like a, a birthday in middle school and the like the the basically the plan was like we're gonna watch half baked (laughs) and it was like a big deal to like watch this you know stoner film and uh yeah i I remember at the time too like and uh, jim brewer was getting kind of big and he was like uh, his stand-up was pretty hilarious uh i haven't watched it in some time so i was like really excited about seeing jim brewer play that ridiculous stoner character (laughs) That he like that's like a bit that he does still to this day I think but uh but obviously Dave Chappelle like steals the show and it, it it did more for his career than I think any of those guys. That must be like a living hell though to sort of be doing a bit after thirty years so the yeah. same thing over and over again because they're like uh, do the stoner bit Jim dude, like <laughs> do goat boy know, every time the check hits it. it... It gets a little easier. I imagine so. I I mean, I do imagine so. At least it's better than prostituting yourself or whatever, but it's still just like one of those things where like you're, you want to be recognized for something else. You come up with new material and sort of like have thought hard and worked hard at working the new material, but people just keep on going back to that same bit that you kind of did. I mean, I, again, I would love for people in 30 years to be like, hey, do the marquee picks, man. You know, whatever. Like, uh, <laughs> Give me your three. Yeah, spin the fucking wheel, spin man. The wheel, yeah. man. You got it. Yeah. Is it in your car? Yeah, so it's it's definitely better than nothing. Uh, let's go on to number two, Joe. All right. Number two, and kind of to differentiate number three, Thurgood Jenkins, who had more altruistic – or not altruistic. He, I mean, yeah, he ended up going to jail. It was altruistic – Reasons for selling drugs is to get his friend out of prison. Um, Smokey in Friday is my second. He just kind of sold weed to uh, make some money on the side. Um, but right. one of the fun, another one of the funniest movies of the early to mid nineties. Um, I was expecting Big Worm from you. Big Worm, Big Perm. Um, big worm. And we lost. Um, we lost the actor who played Debo earlier this year. Uh, I don't know if yeah. it was COVID related, but yeah, um, just chalk that up to another, you know, another thing shitty and happened in 2020. Um, and I'll just go ahead and go on to my number one to keep this thing rolling. And I really love this movie. And it was from the early 2000s. So I think it was 2002. Um, 2001, excuse me, is George Young in the movie Blow, played <laughs> by. Um, Played yeah. by Johnny Depp, and uh, who I've always had a soft spot for P- Penelope Cruz as well. She's a smoke show in that. Woo! But he was just absolutely living the life, and yeah. you know was fairly responsible on the come up. You know what I mean? Was absolutely killing it. Um, but you know, as as it, it caught up with him as things do. But uh, you know, he was he was one of my more. It was one of the more enjoyable drug dealer stories than say sicario which is on the other end of that spectrum well yeah i I think you're right joe and sort of like the on the come come up sort of thing and it's also one of those movies one of those stories tales of old time where it's almost like you sort of reach fly a little bit too close to the sun so to speak i was gonna say icarus yeah he couldn't be satisfied Mm -hmm. with the amount of success he had he had to just keep getting a little bit more he could have retired he had the smoke show wife he had things going on he got clean 
And then he just kind of had to do that one, one more last thing. And it just yeah. blows it off. I don't know if that's true to real life. And maybe that's just one of those like movie or story tropes or whatever, where it's sort of like that tragic downfall, not tragic, yeah. but it just makes it sort of like you get that feeling of, Oh, he's going to get away with it. Oh, he's going to get away with it. And then he just has to like exhibit that one last kind of thing of greediness to where like he has to sort of get caught. And yeah, no, that, no, everything about blow is fantastic from the music. I just remember black Betty. I remember like all the, that scene where like, can't you, whole, oh, dude, whole, can't you hear me knocking? That whole can't you hear me knocking? Oh yeah, <laughs> but, but remember that the when when they're going through the airport. Oh, yeah, man, yeah, Black yeah. Betty's when like that's when they're like sort of doing that montage of the scene of like how they're sort of yeah t- taking the coke and the money back and forth from the airport like or through customs whatever. But like, that scene too, suit. that scene too where uh it's just an apartment covered in cash. I think that's at the end of the Black Betty montage, right? And you just sort of like see how much cash they actually have, like. It's a oh, whole, it's, 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 yeah, I mean, it's insane. It's just stacked to the ceilings. Uh, and who knows how, I'm, I'm sure that's all true or whatever, but it's just one of those things where, yeah, yeah. I mean, you sort of fantasize about that sort of type of weird success or whatever, but you don't really know how involved you'd want to be. Uh, Budge, fun, Preston, fun what, fact. Well, I was going to say, he was, uh, so he was released from prison in 2014. Cause I remember after seeing this movie, I was just so like, like kind of fascinated like when's he gonna be released like what all like how? Long uh, is yeah that, now that you say that there's like a lot of yeah. like in college kind of like man that guy got screwed like oh yeah oh there was all, i mean yeah. there was also probably people being like wouldn't it be cool like when he gets released i can buy an eight ball from him so i can say <laughs> i bought an eight ball from george <laughs> he, gets, he gets right back into the game yeah uh no but so he was released from prison 2014 and then in 2017 he was completely free as as he had been living in a halfway house for three years and so now he's 78 i'm not sure where he's living these days but probably you know, Florida. he's a fr- he's a free man Hope he's living clean i will say this this is one of those movies where when you actually like you see like the whole movie you get caught up in sort of the hollywood glamour of it and you go oh man like he's johnny depp he's really cool and he looks great blah 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 yeah. and at the very end they show his face and he is uh, uh, look i'm not someone try to like judge a man's appearance or whatever but this guy is the on a scale of one to ten if i'm doing if i'm a female he's probably like a two so 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 what i'm saying is he definitely benefited from the johnny depp casting in terms like romanticizing his story they could have easily gotten danny devito in a wig and made this movie too but they needed johnny depp is all i was gonna get at but he's also (laughs) the uh like uh what is it in the wire where they're like never try your supply or whatever yeah the cautionary tale for uh because i'm pretty sure he got deep into like just doing drugs and doing blow well yeah that, that was the thing though Certainly, he was super like he was super down high down. on like coke whatever right when like his daughter got born in the movie at least and like he was the one that had to get hospitalized because he was just both of him and his wife were the ones that were just totally control, totally addicted yeah. but did you have something to add about blow is it like yeah I, I was i was gonna ask y'all how many people do you think you went to college with that had that poster <laughs> oh god that movie not only is I'd it say like, it's an easy twenty five percent. You know, when you were a freshman, you're like, Atlanta. oh, and <laughs> it was like it was like, and that's like, the end of the pod. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the blow poster with Penelope Cruz, like having sort of like yeah. that like acute angle leg up, whatever, in the leg dress, Pulp Fiction with Uma Thurman on it, and then what was the other like a Bob Marley poster? Probably those have to be the top no, three the, selling or posters. It's just a tapestry. Oh yeah, I mean, but hanging, yeah. yeah. Those those people that like Boondock go out. Saints is a is a low key black horse there too. Yeah, 
dude, I bet that Dark poster horse. selling racket for like college or whatever. That first that first mm-hmm. week of colleges or whatever. That's such a profitable racket. Um, all right, we're gonna move on to Budge. We're gonna move on to your top three favorite drug dealers in film and TV. Go for it, Budge. Sure. My number three is um, you know, obviously I'm gonna be a little specific on uh which depictions, but it would be uh the Pablo Escobar from Narcos, uh, played by Wagner Maura. And the real reason for that, dear listeners, is because you don't know, because you know, he Budge is a private man who respects his anonymity, <laughs> but that actor who played and in that spot oh, looks God. a lot like me. <laughs> uh, it's almost eerie. Wow, uh, this is predictable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's but, true, folks. Yeah, for the people at home. Uh, yeah, but so no, just, I, imagine, just imagine him without a mustache, and you've got, you've, you've kind of got Budge Or Husky. with a mustache. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that, that's what I meant. That's, yeah. Well, oh, yeah, well, whatever, whatever. We'll just Either or. get to the description. Whatever, <laughs> but yes, I, I can actually see it now. It's not something I really pieced together, but yeah, you're absolutely right. But, but uh, have you, have yeah, you ever we, like dressed up for Halloween? Yeah, absolutely. I'll send you. I'll send you some photos. Um, but yeah, when that when that when Narcos came out on Netflix, I was inundated with people just texting me out of the blue <laughs> picture. Um, but you know, I, I like Narcos. <laughs> I like Narcos uh, as a as a as a series. At least it was like first two seasons, I think, or at least the first one were all about kind of Pablo. I, I have since subsequently not caught up, but I, but I know it's high quality. Um, also, uh, one of the first appearances of Pedro Pascal, uh, yeah. but I, but it, that was a, it was a, it was a fun thrill ride. Uh, and I think it's a great series. Um, my, uh, my number two is from a movie that does get brought up every now and then on this podcast. And that would be Reese Feldman, Vince <laughs> Vaughn in Starsky and Hutch. Oh yeah. Uh, the man ah, with the yacht. <laughs> um, Great character. Show me the ticket, boss. Be <laughs> the ticket. Uh, know that you will. Yeah. You know what's funny is like Jason. Either. Jason Bateman yeah. is like the sort of like supporting like lackey in that, and he's such a big star oh, too. Right. But like in like, but you really wouldn't know it's him. He what promoted as Jason Bateman, but it's like him in that '70s style suit and a mustache. But sorry, I, I just wanted to throw yeah. that in. But but go for it. But yeah, but Reese cracks me up when he throws Juliet Lewis off the <laughs> boat, like just completely uh, to go. Um, but I guess that kind of moves me on to my number one, who I imagine will be on someone else's list. And in fact, your listeners, a joke was made in the chat, uh, to this effect earlier, but that would be Tim Meadows as Sam, uh, in the Dewey Cog story. Uh, <laughs> uh, I could see some grimaces amongst my co-hosts here. God, uh, but yes, good. it is. It is so oh, funny. Shit, you know, he comes around. <laughs> and I don't know, does he qualify as a drug dealer if Dewey never pays? Yeah, that's a good you know, point. So that's that's a, a good... He may be disqualified. You don't want none of this shit, dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- I think when he says that you... feelings go away. <laughs> I think when he, I think that sounds like I do want that. <laughs> I think the assumption is though, if he's complaining about how Dewey never pays, logic would assume that all the other friends do. Yeah. It, right? I think like if no one ever pays. He Fair wouldn't enough. have that complaint. So, like, it would almost make sense that he's like, and do we, you never pay for drugs. Yeah, right, yeah. So I'd almost, I almost think so. But like you were saying, Preston, like, it's like he's always trying to say, you don't want to know this. And then he explains, like, the best parts of what drugs actually yeah. do. That's what I was going to say. I, I was going to give uh, Tim Meadows honorable mention for best salesman uh, <laughs> yeah, right? the drug dealers for his convincing description of, of all the drugs that he was yeah. offering. He's uh, both withholding so and he like makes you sort of like 
fiend for it at the same time. We don't know if that's a convincing strategy or if that's just him being like whatever. Like, because he's both like, you can't have it, but these do make all your bad feelings go away and make you feel, you know, kind of thing. It's the cheapest drug there is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Wait, what, what was that one? I'm sorry. I, I can't even like think what was it? like. It's, I bet that's really expensive. It goes, it goes I don't drug. know. Sounds kind of expensive. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was weed. And he goes, Oh, yeah. The cheapest drug there is. <laughs> Sounds addicting. It's how, uh, habit forming. <laughs> when, uh, they, yeah. when they're talking about cocaine and how Dewey says it, he's like, cocaine? Cocaine. Or something like that. He says, like, cocaine? I think I do want that. <laughs> it makes sex it's... even better. <laughs> <laughs> it is one of those things, too, where, like, you go, like, uh, Tim Meadows always slays it in so many roles that he has. Like, you, I, I understand that he's probably not, like, leading man material. I don't know. Like, it wasn't as if, like, ladies' man was uh, something that really – I mean, I do know that, but I'm just saying, like, I can understand why Tim Meadows isn't, like, a movie star, but I feel like he should get – a lot more roles than he actually has. I don't know if he's actually doing that intentionally, like just sort of trying to live maybe a little bit more. Tim Meadows life. is one of the funniest people on this planet. I know that's what I'm saying. I, I don't understand why he doesn't. I, get I like, agree with I, I agree with you. I, it's when we watched uh, Hubie Hubie Brown, Halloween. He kind of stole Halloween. Out. I thought he was like the funniest thing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so it makes you wonder, like, is it intentional? Like, he's like, oh, you know, yeah. uh, I'm not trying to live the Hollywood life anymore, or whatever, or if. If it's for some reason people are like misinterpreting that he's actually super super hilarious. Tim Meadows uh, is one of those people like Will Ferrell who can just walk in a room and you'll yeah. start laughing. Yeah, you, know, you can't stop laughing, and you're like, "Why am I?" You know what I mean? Yeah. God, it makes me think of that scene around the poker table with he and Will Ferrell and, <laughs> and semi pro. The jive turkey scene. He goes, yeah, I called you a cocksucker. Yeah. Hey, hey, nobody's calling anybody JT around here. Yeah. <laughs> and all, all right, Preston. Note, all right. Bad mailman. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, Preston, let's move on to your top three favorite drug dealers. I know that me and Preston might have already hinted ours like in right. six months ago or whatever, but go for it. Yeah, I've changed it up from that early episode and the uh, Cinema Syndicate history. I, I think I do have some overlapping of course, I, I'm going to take Thurgood Jenkins off just to keep it fresh here. Um, but uh, obviously a great pick. Really good pick there with the Tim Meadows character, uh, Budge. So let's see. Uh, number three, I'm going to go ahead and start with, um, well, you could go with Ted Jones, played by Gary Cole in this movie. But I'm going with the lovable stoner, played by James Franco, Saul Silver in Pineapple Express. Um, Ooh, you know, excellent. Reminds me of plenty of friends from college who were, yeah, just constantly slinging, you know, weed and whatnot. <laughs> and they just, yeah, they're like really friendly, really harmless people. And um, Saul Silver, I, I feel like, kind of represents that type of drug dealer. Preston, um, in this movie. I, I think, I think the best thing about Saul Silver, Preston, like not to steal your momentum, but like that's something that was sort of like untapped. Uh, like in terms of like previous movies is that sometimes drug dealers deal drugs just to like, as a way of networking and making friends, if that makes sense, <laughs> because hey, they're actually it, might okay, be like, so yeah, they're mildly like lonely going. people. Right. And so that's where right. like Saul Silver's like, you can stay over if you want. Like, and yeah, like, I, so that's kind of where I was going because like, that is one of the funnier parts. And it's towards the, the beginning <laughs> establishing his character is like, yeah, he's like, you can stay over or like, I'll come with you or, 
you know, he's like, he's the, he's the lingering type of drug dealer. who's just kind of like after he sells to you, like he's still hanging around and people are kind of like, all right, like catch you later. And it's just like, I want to hang out. Yeah. I think if anybody's had experience with some of these like people in their lives, whether there's some people who take it very seriously, like I'm onto the next client and there's some people who just like want almost exclusively just to almost have an invitation to your place. And then, and then like an invitation to sit down and be like, Oh, do you, are you going to smoke it right now? Can we share this? Like, and it's just like, let's you go don't, hang out. It, I thought you know. that movie did a good job of sort of blurring the relationship between drug dealer and client. And like, they did yeah. it in a really funny way, like where some of these people just kind of almost want to make friends. And then right. obviously men on the other side, uh, go for your number two, Preston, unless somebody else has got something to add about Saul Silver. Uh, I thought Joe, were you about to say something? <laughs> oh, I was just going to comment pretty much the same thing, President. That you seem like you were the person in Charleston that would attract the type of person <laughs> who's maybe selling you some party favors that was wanting to hang around a bit too long. It was like, hey, man, just smoke this with me real quick. Like, uh, like dude, I got to go, buddy. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, <laughs> and, I love, and I love that dynamic between his character and, and Seth Rogen's character in it because it's just. And it's funny because obviously he does go along with them, and he probably and that's so real. Again. That's so real. It's very real, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. You can count on Seth Rogen to make a pretty uh, realistic weed flick, <laughs> an accurate portrayal, yeah, yeah, of the black market. All right, Absolutely. number two. Probably, yeah, go for it. Okay. Um, you know, Matthew might have this. I just feel like it has to be be on the list. Um, I kind of went back and forth, but I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Walter White and Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad. I do. I mean, <laughs> it's hard to hard to have a list like this without. I mean, it's not. They're not even dealers. I mean, Walter White becomes like a fucking lord. Like, a well, dealer. yeah, no, I, I will. I will say that, like, my pick. I. It's funny that you paired Walter White and Jesse, and I sort of went Walter White and Gus Fring as sort of like a combo, and you went Walter and Jesse. I know that's probably yeah. like a, a better way of putting it or whatever, but I just like Gus Fring's character better than Jesse Pinkman or whatever. Uh, uh, yeah, well, Gus ahead. Fring slash Moff is. Uh, he's not. He's very. I mean, he's menace. Like he's kind of scary i mean you know he was totally different than uh certainly than jesse and i thought his relationship with with walt with walter was pretty uh i mean those were some of the best episodes i thought in the entire series um but yeah i'm going with walter white and jesse uh if you haven't seen breaking bad what are you doing um anyone else Butcher, like you all- Breaking Bad fan? I feel like we've talked about TV shows over yeah, and over again. Yeah, so I, 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 the answer to that question is yes, but <laughs> at the same time, I didn't finish the series. Um, I, Jesus. Uh, I, I remember, I forget what happened. I mean, the golden era of television occurred, and, and I think I was also, it came out maybe what, we were sophomores in college? Yeah, but it was one of those things like right when Netflix yeah. was taken off and right when it was available to stream too, and that's how people got more into it. And so the last two seasons, everyone was able to watch it on Netflix before the last two seasons started. So, so it- yeah, I saw the first two, and then I haven't seen it since. And, and that's on me. Uh, I know it's con- obviously considered the best, I, and I really enjoy um, uh, Brian Cranston. And uh, who's the director? He's from um, Vince uh, Gilligan. Vince, yeah. Who, by the way, I don't know if you've ever heard an interview with. He's from like Roanoke, Virginia, but he has a very thick accent, uh, which shot not, you know, not that we don't, but or I don't, but it just was kind of I was like, oh, what's up, buddy? Um, 
I mean, this, this, is, next this is typical like Budge Husky Fair where he knows the director and writer and producer of Breaking Bad and also what his accent sounds like. But tell you what, region. Finish the actual series. Yeah. In the south. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, man. Uh, it's not, it's, but it's not far from here. Um, and I actually was just in Santa Fe or, or New Mexico, so I feel kind of uh, bad for not actually seeing it. Um, finishing it, I should say. We should go ahead and do that. I will say that it's one of the... Uh... It's very difficult in this golden age of television and streaming and everything sometimes to stick to a show when you've like, oh, that just. Well, it's out. one of those things. It's one of those things where like you'd think it was kind of addictive. I feel like it gets addictive after the first. Yeah. I, I can understand like giving up and on the first season, but after like number two, it feels like, oh man, I, I need to keep going with this. But I mean, everyone's it's got. Their it, to be taste. fair, what happened? Like it happened in college, and then like you know, a lot of that's like a and i'll call you stupor so you're like i have better things to do yeah like well and you we had this discussion the other uh week but you could almost say i think we we get we gave it cred credit to game of thrones but i'm pretty sure breaking bad was before game of thrones right i think it started before game of thrones and it, yeah they it were they were kind of going it was kind of yeah. doing that uh like ending each episode where you're just like oh fuck like come on let's go to the next one yeah of course I, it wasn't that well like you know, format yet I think we've also done a, and we've probably talked about this before, where there's like when you that kind of like you know towards the end of college and maybe like that first couple years after, there's almost for at least for me, and I think we some other people would agree, there's kind of like a pop culture gap, in the sense where you just like you're going out more, you just don't really have the time that you you know. So like there's like a section of the years where like I, my like again my knowledge of like movies and TV isn't really there, um, so yeah. I, I think Breaking Bad for me is something that fell kind of in that. But Bud's blaming like not being able to watch Breaking Bad because he was too popular in college is definitely a fantastic thing. <laughs> guys, guys, I, I was going out and trying man. to get laid, and you guys I fucking no pussies time. had to stay in. Like I was getting laid every single night. I did not have time to watch dorky TV shows yeah. like you boners. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not a chemistry it's, Yeah, it's the same thing what? about music too. If it's not like that bar music that, <laughs> of those years, and I don't know it. You know. Uh, all right, Preston, let's go on to your number one. Unless, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's. Let's get this party rolling. Uh, all right, number one, I'm going with uh, two iconic slacker drug dealers portrayed by Jason Mewes and Kevin Smith. I'm going with Jay and Silent Bob. These Excellent choices. Favorite. Yeah, go ahead. Actually, I'll, 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 I was going to say, these were, all, these were very close to being on my shit list. in my hand. <laughs> uh, yeah, obviously, always busting out some fun rhymes and songs. Um, and similar to Thurgood in the sense that these aren't like vicious you know schedule one well shit i guess schedule one uh drug dealers um you know they're there's there's gentle as uh a playpen of puppies they're very funny you know pretty much constantly telling crude dick jokes and you know i honestly i think they probably would lose money sometimes you know w way more than they would even make money it was just like it was just their life just sit outside the convenience store make jokes and just sell dime bags constantly. <laughs> and, you know, uh, just being in some of these iconic movies, if you haven't seen them, Clerks, obviously, is is the first that comes to mind. Mallrats, uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back, the list kind of goes on and on. I think they're in Chasing um, Amy, too. They might show up in Chasing Amy. I was thinking about that earlier, and I could not remember if they were in it. But I'm a big Kevin Smith fan. I think his movies are great. Um, the ones that he directs and the ones that he's in. 
but yeah, I think, these guys I think, are just, they're just, it's just great. It's just, it's feel good. It's funny. Uh, and they, they just have become kind of like these cult iconic, you know, cult characters. And I, and I think you've kind of touched on this about them being sort of like nonviolent, but like, I, I don't, and I don't know this, but I would have got to, I got to imagine that's got to be one of the first depictions of drug dealers as sort of just like slacky slacker. Uh, yeah kind of goofs is i'm trying to think like brad pitt's character in true romance was kind of an idiot but other than that and I don't was know he even like a drug dealer or was he just like a lazy bum that's a good point the drug dealer was uh gary oldman who was crazy yeah that's uh right axel spy that was, was yeah that's right that's right axel spy but anyway so i'm Drex- just trying to think drexel. like yeah drexel yeah drexel yeah i think that's right i actually kind of gave credit to dave Chappelle earlier being kind of that first character but honestly it was probably James Out Bob. I mean, that was definitely earlier, and yeah. uh, they are certainly the slacker. But yeah, like I mean, and I think too, it's like just slack. But like you know, I think depictions of drug dealing previously were you know probably a little more stereotypical. Yeah, you know, like a certain of a certain color, you know, Hispanic or black, and you they're know, a certain right class. Yeah, and they're like, let's just let's depict these, you know, lower class like. Mm-hmm. Slacker, or it's yeah, or dude. or it's like a guy leading a cult and like he's got <laughs> all nefarious motives and he's selling a white guy selling weed like. So are Charles you giving Manson. credit to like Kevin Smith for sort of changing no, the narrative I, about I, drug culture? Or you... I've got no data to back that up, but I gotta imagine that might be one of the first big big like movies in which that was depicted. Well, what you say that like, do you think that was influential in terms of sure. maybe changing the narrative yeah, in I'll, terms of I'll, how people view marijuana? I'll stand on that. I'll I'll down that hill. Okay, I'll I'll join you until someone tells me differently, and then I'll I mean I've got I'm just I'm just curious myself if like if you think like when people see that they go oh you know what like maybe I should change my mind a little bit about how sort of drug dealers actually are, at least in terms of like you know like you said it was sort of like just people dealing pot or whatever that they, they can yeah. be harmless they can be funny yeah. they can be sort of innocent in a sense I do think I, I do then, think you're right because the, the preconception about marijuana was that like it always been sort of in the media and through the government being like this is dangerous it's a gateway it's drug, a gateway it's drug. Blah, blah, yeah. blah 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 and so like anyone that's associated with it is trying to get you involved in more nefarious acts whereas like you're right like these some of these like depictions of people dealing drugs was a, a lot a lot more harmless a lot more innocent in terms of yeah marijuana is is probably pretty fine um all right so we're going to move on to my top three drug dealers then we're going to move on to our review of sicario uh number three i've changed it up since our past episode on uh, operation odessa which was back in may so number three i've got the spurberry police department from super troopers just because i love that movie and they were all selling copious amounts of weed Number two, we already talked about this a little bit. With, uh, <laughs> number two, we already talked about this a little bit with, uh, I got Walter White and Gus Fring. Uh, Preston had Walter White and Jesse Pinkman, but I went with Gus Fring a little bit just because I love his character so much. And like yeah. Preston was talking about, he's so menacing. He's so just under control, but you can also, he has that like sort of demeanor about him where you know he's being like complicated and calculated and he could, could be having an anxiety attack, but you just don't know because his face just stays the exact same the whole time. Number one, yeah, <laughs> number he one. Yes, fried chicken. That's <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's running a drug empire and a chicken empire at the same time. It's just amazing amount of productivity out of one man. Uh, number one, I've got Frank Lucas, American Gangster. Just a shout out, Denzel Washington. Again, mm-hmm. one of those things we were just talking about with uh, George Young in terms of blow. It's almost the exact same story. Someone coming from nothing, ascending to the highest levels of their drug trade, and then having that sort of one moment where they 
were a little bit out of control and things sort of start to spiral out. And yeah. uh, I just, I, I really love that movie with Denzel and also Russell Crowe. I just love he that He was movie. only, only selling heroin, heroin, right? Yeah, but I mean, he was, he was selling a lot of it, Preston. Uh, <laughs> and obviously the story is about him sort of being able to get that direct connection from Vietnam and sort of, you know, ooh, my oh my God, it's, yeah, yeah, it's so yeah. scandalous. We're trafficking it through sort of... Uh, the dead of the caskets of dead fallen Vietnam soldiers or whatever. Damn. So I watch that again. It's actually, yeah. I mean, that's obviously the big sort of almost M night Shyamalan twist reveal in terms of, Oh, how are they actually getting the United States? And then you realize that's how they're doing it. And you're like, Oh shit. That's actually quite, <laughs> quite skeezy at the same time. Um, Were you so, about to bring up the, the, the scene in the street on the sidewalk? Oh, when he kills Idris Elba before Idris Elba was a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean that is that's that's that moment. Like, what I almost I wonder if that actually really happened, or if Denzel Washington, or if Denzel Washington was like, we really need a scene where I'm just a total badass, and I just want to shoot somebody right in the middle of the street, you know, kind of thing. I, I really don't know. I I, I, have, I did I remember like Wikipedia in it, but it's one of those things where it's Frank Lucas, and he could just be totally making it up because he could be just a total bullshit artist. So you don't know, like, you know, like some of those people that had sort of like had this like fame as being a super drug dealer whatever might almost mythologize their past accomplishments because now they sort of already gotten away with it (laughs) i don't know if that makes sense like oh yeah i killed somebody in the middle of the street because i was badass you know like which hey you were badass but you don't have to sort of make it that that crazy or whatever right uh (laughs) i don't know joe have you seen american gangster i feel like you would uh you'd be a big american gangster no that is on my list uh it's a yeah i've had multiple people tell me that and might I add, I have an honorable mention for this category, and I just just stay on brand, as <laughs> say, Mr. X, Daniel Craig from Layer Cake. Ooh, Hard yeah, that's a good one. Great as, movie. As an ecstasy dealer. Just yeah, to throw that out there. I haven't seen that movie in so, so long, and uh, honestly, I, 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 I'm not failing to even, like, register what, like, is what his sort of role was. I guess it's one of those movies where, like, you sort of Somebody Daniel Craig is trying to get out of the layer cake. He's trying to get out of the drug de- the drug dealing business, right? And he's it's it's another one of those Icarus stories where he's got a load of pills that he's got to move. And yeah. He's got to find a buyer, and you know it's, it goes wrong. And it's just your classic Icarus tale where he finally kind of gets bit in the end. The, like the like one one last deal. This is my last deal, and then I can retire yeah. and like the the beach or whatever. And then it gets goes to shit. Yeah. Bud, you got any honorable mentions before we move on to Sicario? Uh, you know, not nothing off the top of my head. And I was just thinking though of of uh, when when he said Layer Cake. I know this is Layer Cake is not a Guy Ritchie movie. It's a Guy Ritchie produced movie. It's a Matthew Vaughn movie. But I don't know if you'll ever saw Rock and Rolla. Oh yeah. Uh, but the uh the guy that slings coke. Uh, I, I still love that line when he goes up to Gerard Butler and Idris Elba, and they took him to that like kind of fancy party, and he goes. Oh, you fucking th- <laughs> huge thanks. This lot does more. Uh, what does he call it? Oh, this. Hold on. God damn it. Give me a second. <laughs> ah. uh, he goes, this lot does more. Fuck, 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 fuck. Oh, shit. Then it's, I have to, I'll have to do it. Does more blow than a fucking brass band or something. 
or I, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this line. I'll have to insert it, but um, it's I'm so already, good. I'm already on it. I'm on detective. I will say this: it's funny you bring up Guy Ritchie though, because I don't know if you guys saw like this was the, one of the last movies that sort of came out before COVID mm-hmm. hit or whatever. But the gentleman came out, which was a Guy Ritchie movie, mm-hmm. and it had Matthew McConaughey. Is it? And he's a good drug dealer. That's he's a, a very he's a, good he's a fantastic yeah. drug dealer. So when you brought that up, I was like, oh mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So he was like the biggest pot dealer in the UK, and his whole sort of like scheme on how it was getting done, I thought was sort of creative and fun. But that movie it, was fantastic. Insert the line. It's uh, is it? I got. Uh, oh, I got. Thank you, Mumbles. It was it too. This lot does more bugle than a fucking brass band. Bugle. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I think just so we don't uh, a little bit of toot. Oh. Piss off the uh the dedicated Scarface stands out there. Yes, we do think Tony Montana is a pretty epic drug dealer. But he's not on he's just the missionary position of drug dealer in the movie. <laughs> I mean, every, you know, it's like I guarantee you. I, I feel like when we did this before and we posted that we none of us had Tony Montana, and I think yeah, the first comments like, "Where's Tony Montana?" It's almost I mean, like some, the two- some people will be pretty shocked like, we don't cliche. have Nancy from Weeds. But <laughs> that's just a really solid pick. I, was, I, yeah, I, I feel like Tony Montana is almost like the, the too obvious one, but when you actually watch Scarface, I don't really necessarily enjoy the movie. It's like he's almost so famous because of those those lines and those like two scenes or whatever, if that makes sense. I'm not really like a huge fan of the movie, but everyone loves those iconic scenes where like he's holding the AK-47 or whatever, like yeah. say hello to my little friend, blah, blah, blah. Or he's sitting in the like the big bubble bath, like doing blow. I mean, it's just sort of like the, what do you want to say? Like a, a perfect portrayal of like drug decadence if that makes sense yeah like he just, and it might be almost, another like first of its kind kind of thing yeah yeah you know, yeah like but like when you actually sort of rewatch the movie you're like oh well, this isn't that great but yeah you love those scenes um <clears throat> all right so that's going to wrap up our drug dealer thing we're going to move on to our discussion of sicario i'm actually really really interested in what everyone has to say about this usually i don't really give two shits about what my co-hosts have to say about the movies we just sort of move on and i sort of go through it sort of aimlessly but no i'm actually really <laughs> All right, then. Just fucking around. Uh, so this no, this week, we're going to talk about Sicario, like we already mentioned. Taylor Sheridan. Uh, do you guys know his name is uh, Dennis? Uh, it's Denis. He is a, he's a Quebecois, but it is, yeah, Denis Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve. I did yeah. not know that. So, like, yeah, yeah. It's so it's Denis, Denis Villeneuve. Yeah, that's what I thought. Like, this, <laughs> but it's Denis Villeneuve. It's, like, well, obviously... I, I, he was already pretty big before this, but this really jump started his career Absolutely. to be like one of like the, the uh, best directors in, in the game right now. So I, this I would argue, I would argue he's the best. We're all massively anticipating Dune coming out um, in um, this year. I know, oh, of course, is. we are. Obligatory yeah, Dune reference. Mm-hmm. We're gonna, I was wondering. Uh, I was kind of waiting. I thought that was going to drop later. Get <laughs> there and say it. Budge, but just go ahead and tell the audience that you've read the book. So, like, we just get that out of the Dude, way. Dude, funny you say that. I saw a gentleman in the airport reading the book, and I was passed by. I go, that took me forever, boss. And he laughed. Like, put your damn mask on. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, he, is, he, was, he was taking the spice. The big dick reading club. Budge mm-hmm. is definitely a part of it. So, uh, so we're going to talk about uh, Sicario. Uh, so, this is, like we talked about, sort of a border cartel cops versus the cia fbi cartel sort of uh conflict movie thriller action thriller but i want to talk about sort of the genre in general and how it compares to maybe some of the previous really popular movies so most of the time in these movies or shows about the drug trade we always see cops going through these ethical dilemmas of needing to break the rules and take down a drug dealer 
but so they either get caught in this thing where they have to do something that's breaking the rules to bring down somebody that's bad or they have to go by the rules and maybe let this person slip away and this this feel, this definitely follows the same trope and we see this in like the wire we see this in breaking bad we see this in american gangster we even see this in all the batman movies and christopher nolan but what i was going to get at what makes this a little bit different in those stories, we get a very well-rounded story of both sides. So we get to see the cops, and we also get to see the lives of the drug dealers. We get more of a bigger picture, if that makes sense, in terms of the characters. But in this movie, I don't think we do. We really only get to see the cops' portrayal of it. We barely get any portrayal in terms of character depth from the drug dealers. Yeah. Would you have liked to see more of the cartel? Or did you think the characters were handled well within the story? Because I know that we, we can get, talk about who the bad guys actually were later, but I know that's part of the point. But would you like to see a bigger rounded depth of characters? But I know I see you breathing heavily. What are you going to talk about? Uh, I, I think that's tough to say because this movie, in, in hindsight, I hadn't seen it in a while, uh, is pretty tight. I mean, it comes in at two hours. And I kind of thought in my mind when I was rewatching, I was like, I remember this movie being like two and a half hours, but it's a tight two. Uh, and I think it packs a lot in. So I think if you did add a lot more of that, it would have weighed the thing down. Like I think they edited and they edited a lot because I did a little bit of research on this and they edited quite a bit like for to what you're talking about. There was apparently Benicio del Toro had about ninety percent more dialogue. They cut ninety percent of it, oh. uh, and he like explained that's his. Well, well, that, well that's, another, that's and, I, and I agree. It did a really good job. It made it more mysterious. Yeah, so that's another thing. Yeah, it's like he, his character, like the, like you said, Budge, was like almost presented as a mystery, mm -hmm. and it's almost like should you have seen his motivations mm -hmm. beforehand or afterwards? It's definitely a question that they had to answer in editing or in writing this movie. Um, and it's just something that we get to ask afterwards sort of as assholes. But yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those questions where like, would you have liked to know a little bit more about those characters? Before I, I think, I think no, because I think the, the cart, the cartel was an enemy here just as an entity. Uh, like, I think that, you know, we got just enough on what I wanted to see from like Silvio, the corrupt police officer, the fact that he had a family. And then you learned enough about Alejandro or Benicio del Toro's character to like, you know, to satisfy me that I don't, I don't, I need to know more about like Guillermo and Manuel, Manny D, Manuel Diaz and et cetera. Well, I, I think that leaves the question though, is like, we, we get the idea that sort of the CIA is the enemy in this too, at least in terms of they have ulterior motives or that they're maybe not playing by the same rule book that we sort of assume they are as American citizens, but we don't get that same sort of ability to see that from maybe the other side, if that makes sense. So if like we have sort of this one person that's not playing by the rules and we sort of get, I don't know if we get a sympathetic, we definitely don't get a sympathetic view with them at all, but it's sort of like maybe we should have had, that sort of extra development from the other side to see how they're maybe, I don't know, in, in some ways, moderately sympathetic. I, maybe they're not at all, but I, I did think maybe it was an unfair portrayal. Of the, I, I shouldn't say unfair, but it's like, it's almost like, it's like in movies when you cast Nazis, if that makes sense, like you don't have to develop the Nazis because they're assholes. They're the universal villain. Did this movie almost <laughs> say like the cartels developed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this almost movie was like, hey, this is a drug cartel. They're absolutely villains. We didn't actually sort of see that maybe there was some wiggle room in there, some ubiquity, maybe some gray area. Joe, uh, Joe what do you think? Did you think like, would you like to see maybe a little bit more in terms of their side of the story? Or did you think it was fine in terms of how it went down? Well, I'm going to say no. And 
uh, my reasoning behind that is because I think that that was a device used by the director to dehumanize the, the cartels and to make them seem like the other, right? So like they're they're kind of barbaric. They're animal yeah, that's what I was, yeah. They're, they're they're the people who are stringing up bodies underneath the overpass in Juarez, and you that's know, true. Yeah, like ten miles, you know, to the north is. Arizona, right? So like they're it, and they're packing it, like seventy five bodies in the house. Exactly. That's <laughs> oh what god, that's, like, it was. That's right, that's, that's actually that's, that's a stuff. fantastic point. I'm not even thinking about this in terms of you're right. That opening scene, they've got all these like bodies like packed behind. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so, yeah. So, they're they're laying the foundation throughout the film. Like these are fucking fucked up people. people are off yeah. yeah. What we're gonna show it, you, like imagine, what's gonna happen? Would we build up? Rate Gonna would be we gratifying. Would we rate the plot? I've, I've got a, a word, kind of on what you're. I think what you're talking about that'll kind of bring it back home. Well, go ahead and say the word. Well, wait. But, okay. So what? What I was gonna say is, like you mentioned, like I kind of almost forgot that uh, that that happened. I remember thinking to myself, like, remind me why Emily Blunt is so invested in this. Like, yeah. right? I never felt fully why, and I know it's because of that scene. But like, while I think she did a great job acting. I just never quite. I w- it was like if that's my one criticism of the plot, I guess it's that you you didn't. I never felt like she was particularly like she her her rationale for being involved didn't really make a lot of sense. Well, I think I think you're right too. So maybe in terms of maybe we didn't need more character development of the cartel, but maybe maybe we needed more development in terms of like you said why she was involved. Maybe she had an actual like partner that she was very very close mm-hmm. with that died or something like that we didn't really get that sense right like she didn't like lose someone that she was married to or engaged to or was her boyfriend it was just sort of like we don't really we just we the only thing we get is oh my goodness this is a this is a dedicated bureaucrat of course she wants to be involved kind of thing right does that make sense like would, would that be fair well, yeah i mean recruited well, I mean, but but Budge is right in the sense in terms of like her motivations because she had opportunities to leave. To quit, yeah. Like yeah, she had opportunities to quit. One. Yeah, she had more than one. And it's, why do you want to keep going down this dangerous path? And it's like Budge was saying, it's like, it's not she, it's not like she wanted some revenge or vindication over something. Yes, she wanted that over like some people that she worked with, but it wasn't right. like somebody super close to her, if yeah, that makes she, sense. It was she not said, well established that, yeah. that, that she was trying to get retribution for those yeah. hostages that yeah. were in the opening scene. Yeah, exactly. That, she, it wasn't like she was working with this that, family's yeah. kid and, mm-hmm. like, you know, the cartel like, accidentally blew up a bomb and a kid died, and you're like, oh, my God, like, I was teaching this kid how to write and read, blah, 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 blah. like... Sorry, I'm just saying. Yeah, like, like you know, they asked her. They asked her, like, "Do you what? Like, why don't you walk?" She said, "I got to see this to the end." I remember yeah. saying, "Why? Yeah, she why? Volunteered, like, she volunteered, yeah, right? Yeah. Why are you doing that? Yeah. The, 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 clearly, you've noticed that this shit is so fucked up. That regardless <laughs> of the outcome of this little episode, it's not going to change that much. You know what I mean? Like, why are you so emotional? Well, that's a good point too. Like, uh, we're not going to go down this rabbit hole too much, but she's been working on this case. And surely, this wasn't the first instance where like she'd seen like dead bodies and stuff." Like she wasn't, that's the other thing. Usually like some of this stuff is like, it's a newbie recruit. It's their first job. Yeah. I didn't get that impression either. Right. Did, no, they did, did see, you guys? No, they seem to like seek her for, you know. And I well, I mean like, so uh, we, we've released 70, we haven't released 71 cause we've got some editing issues, but that's sort of the point of 71, right? These people are so naive uh, to the incident and that's sort of like their deal, right. their deal well, is they're getting exposed to brand new stuff. I think this we didn't get that sort of vibe from here. But I, but I think well, we kind of learned ultimately why they picked her. 
right? Was right. Because Ultimately, the, they're using the CIA. Her. Oh, 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 yeah. we, we we know that. I was just saying, but that, it was like, her. We, it we, was her naivete and inexperience was exactly why they picked her. Oh, oh, so you, but oh, I know yeah, we don't. They, but we don't learn that till later. But we don't learn. We don't understand why she's still going. We understand yeah. maybe that's why they picked her. But she could have easily dropped out. Correct. That's that's what we're getting. I mean, I think you you brought up that point too. So I don't know. Anybody else have anything to add? I, I know we sort of drifted a little bit. Like before we move on from. Um, but would you like to? Would you like to see anything else from like the cartel at all? Because I do feel like that was a little bit part of the forgotten part of the narrative. And but like Budge was saying, it came in at two hours. They had to edit some stuff down. Maybe there was yeah. some a little bit more. But we did sort of discuss it in terms of, yeah, maybe it was sort of like they were setting them up as the villain, which is fine. Absolutely fine. Uh, I just I was just saying it differed from general cop tropes is what I was saying, where they sort of try to add this ubiquity and gray area where you sort of have to sympathize with both sides. What do you think, Preston? Yeah, I think I think they did steer away from like the general like the usual tropes. And I, I think that's what makes this film like really cool in, in that regard because like we we're just talking about the cart like the the notion of the cartel and like the character that they were uh portraying is it's slowly like it's it's developed <laughs> to a kind of a crescendo and then at the end which i'm sure we'll talk about i mean like it almost for me turn and you've got these characters you've got uh great actors in it but like just the 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 like power or like like the general like feel from Alejandro Benicio del Toro's character and then that ending scene essentially it almost made me feel like this became like a character piece all of a sudden <laughs> on, on him because it was just such a it was it was it, you know you do finally see this um this drug kingpin and he's just in a way like kind of an ordinary person at least put in an ordinary situation uh like eating at the dinner table and we'll talk more about it but I, well, I mean, yeah, that's a good I just, point, though. I really, I really did, I really did like how they they portrayed the uh, the cartel as far as like their the the means, like the what they were going for with the end of the film. Um, well, I mean, that's a good point, though. Do you guys think this was sort of like uh, what what we already sort of talked about the genre in terms of maybe it's an action thriller or whatever? But in some ways, it's a revenge story at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I mean, did you think so? Well, like his revenge was justified in the way he went about it. Plus, like his backstory is a little bit weird. Maybe that's instead of talking about the cartel's backstory. I know we did, but you just said like it was, it benefited from Benicio del Toro being even more mysterious. But would you almost like to have seen that his his story been been bigger? No. Like right because he wasn't becoming the star at the end. Yeah, I, no, I I love yeah, it. Kind of I I thought I thought it was so cool, and I think that that is an awesome story. Like a former prosecutor turned like vigilante, like yeah, or, like cartel yeah. hitman. Um, because but how he how he came about those skills is something that well, should he, maybe yeah yeah I don't fair know. enough fair enough. But I mean, you know, you see him getting nervous. Like he shows a lot of like emotion in the very beginning on the plane and things. Like he's very nervous. He's pointing out like where the yeah. problems are going to be to Emily Blunt. Yeah. Um, but I also I think very but, very sleepy. But let's go. <laughs> you, you know, we've we've discussed this at length on this uh on this pod. But you know, we talk about it comes up a lot like where things don't quite fit perfectly in a genre and and it's worth me just talking about now i think this this kind of was like the peak maybe of of sort of that neo-western takeoff i think like no country for old men but this is definitely a western story like where it takes place and it also you know drugs are kind of a new part of the west 
you know, the Mexico American Mexican American border. Plus, you've got revenge. Like that's a classic Western tale. You know, yeah. kind of a lone wolf. I mean, the whole idea that this is the land of wolves now, like that's very common to common theme to No Country for Old Men. White hat, black black hat. Yeah. Evil yeah, versus great, good, yeah. great yeah. hat, and, and and let me just and again we brought this, this, this a lot with Jeff Fisher, but like you know this kick is kind of kicked all the genre. Like you got to let's let's go ahead and get this out of the way. Like Taylor Sheridan wrote the screenplay for this movie. Uh, he did Hell or High Water. He mm-hmm. did Wind River. He did he does Yellowstone currently. Yeah. Um, I think you know, and obviously like this, you know, it did and Dennis being away, Denny being away, is Benov. <laughs> get it right. <laughs> he did Blade Runner 2049, uh, and and his movies are great. But like these guys are, this is where these the people that were involved in this movie. You also had Sir Roger Deakins, the Deak King, Academy Award winner cinematographer, who took you know like this movie was beautiful. And as somebody who was just out there, like it looked so western, it was awesome. Uh, and just like the scenes, the sky that was so big, yeah. the mesas, and finding like. The mesas that looked like skulls, you know, that you could see it in. It was just so good, and I think this is the example of those guys being at the top of their game. Because I'll make this clear: there are not there are not three people who are better at making movies and they're at their fields at this moment in cinema than Denis Villeneuve, Taylor Sheridan, and Sir Roger Deakins. I, I, love when, I love when you make sort of like a declarative point like that and you st- struggle with one of their names. Well, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm not in fucking New Orleans. Do we get a rebuttal? We're so, we're so, we, we're, we look so bad because we just, we just got with Boot Crew and, you know, French, French Louisiana and we can't say the damn name. I was I'm going to pull a Horatio Sands. But no, 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 I agree with you. I mean, like we talked about it before we even started, like Taylor Sheridan, this kicked off his career so hard. And he, I think he, uh, did he win uh, Academy Award for Hell or Hermione? for best screenplay but for hell or high water though did he win i feel like did, did he win or not i i, I don't know but anyways it, but you're right everything he's done since then has been so critically acclaimed he's proven himself to be an incredible writer uh did uh, i i don't know denis Villeneuve has proven himself to be an incredible director and like you said uh is it richard deakins or whatever richard deakins um, i think it's roger deakins I was always the most impressed with the uh, James Bond movie he did because I thought that yeah, was Skyfall. Skyfall was so was it Skyfall or the other one? The, uh, he also yeah. did No Country for Old Men. But anyways, yeah, he's just he's just so he's it's so awesome. Ridiculous. I mean, yeah, he, he's yeah. so and ridiculous. did he do 1917? Yes, he did. He, he's done all sorts of brilliant, brilliant stuff. So he he's the best in the business, absolutely. So that wasn't like a hot take. That guy is the best. Budge, well, I mean, not Budge. Uh, Joe, I feel like you were trying to like throw your hat into the mix. What were you thinking about saying? You know, and all that kerfluffle and commotion, I lost it. Um, sometimes well, we can get, sometimes we can definitely get so high up our own ass that we sort of like lose our points or whatever. So let's move on a little bit. We've already sort of discussed that point or whatever, and I'll just sort of transition here, but this is something that can totally, totally go somewhere else. I wanted to ask you guys, did you think this film had an agenda? We kind of we kind of touched on this a little bit. So maybe there was an agenda maybe to enlighten people about how I thought we were talking about. So it didn't highlight the C, I mean, the cartel too much, but it definitely highlighted how the CIA was maybe a little bit more corrupt organization, definitely trying to sort of skew the facts and play by a different rule book. Or do you think the point of the film in some ways that there was to show people that there was no perfect solution to a huge complex problem. So it's like, did you think what they were trying to get at was, Hey man, the CIA is messing everything up. Or what was the point of the film to say, you know what, this, 
problem can't actually be solved and they're doing the best they can. What do you think, Bud? I feel like you've got something to say. Yeah, about so this. there's two. I think there's two big lines in this movie that really stand out to me. And the first is when Josh Brolin's talking with Kate Moss and he looks at her and he says, This is the future. This is what yeah. happens when they dig in, you know, when, when the cartels make a stand. Like, this is what this creates. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to get back at them, essentially. And so it just shows you, like, if that's the play that the cartels wanted to make, they are going to feel the full weight and and wrath of the United States government and what yeah. we're capable of. The, United, the, the CIA has been toppling democratically elected regimes for years. We've got no qualms coming in and fucking up your cartel and changing leaders and putting people who power who we want to be in power. Uh, yeah, we, it's a you know, more justified, probably. Well, I don't know. Like, I mean, yeah, but, but that's I, the point, though, Wilson. Yeah. I mean, not, but, I mean, Budge, but, it, but in the sense that maybe the, the main audience did, doesn't know that because the CIA sort of operates under in the shadows, so to speak, right? Sure. And this but, is maybe the first movie that sort of made the CIA the villain instead of just maybe I don't you, know, sort I don't of know the ubiquitous law enforcement. Yeah, I don't think they're per se the villain. But I think the second thing that stands out, the second line is the very end. And I just mentioned it when Benicio Taylor tells. Uh, Emily Blunt, he says, this is a land of wolves. You are not a wolf. You know? <laughs> like, that's, the, that's, again, that's the future. Like, this is a kill or be killed, you know, this is the old, this is the wild west again. But it's the old west, you know, so it's, it's like nothing has ever changed. You need to go back to a small town where law and order exists. It does not exist here. And I think that's just kind of show, you know, those two things just show you the world that they wanted to portray. I don't know if they wanted, I don't know, sure the point was to say that, like, it's unsolvable, but like it's going to happen this way. This was a natural occurrence of a buildup of things that had that were going on. That have well, you're basically saying that like when you solve a problem, it's gonna like any problem you solve is gonna create new ones. Basically, is what you're saying, and, and I think that's what it, it, that, maybe that's what I was getting at, well, right? Like, like we, pro- we, we, I mean, I think we'll see. Go back to Josh Brolin's point. The point was until people stop snorting and smoking what they're yeah. selling, then it's not gonna the problem is not solvable. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. There's no perfect solution to this perfectly complex problem, right? Like, like there's no perfect solution other than, like you said, the perfect solution is people just stop demanding drugs. Mm-hmm. But since you just said no one's ever going to stop demanding drugs, people are always going to find a way to supply it to them. Joe, what what do you think in terms of like what? I, I don't know if there is an agenda or a theme or narrative or some like grander point to be made out of this. Did you think they were sort of trying to portray the enemy in a certain way, or do you think they were just sort of trying to make a point a certain come across a certain way? I think there is a point to be made about moral relativism and how like there is a tendency in Hollywood to be you know morally relativistic when it comes to like the United States and China or Russia, yeah, and, like, kind of equating our governmental democratically elected governmental agencies like from the West, you know, spy agencies with like the KGB or the FSB or you know, like all these other, um, you know, like Soviet bloc agencies that were clearly, you know, like evil forces in the world and they kind of put them on the same playing field when they're really not. And so you have to go into this movie thinking like these cartels are not even, I mean, like they are animals, they're wolves, right? They'll kill anything that in, in their, in their path. And so in, in order to deal with that, like, I, I don't know, like the, you're going to have to accept some things that are going to be outside the rules. And so I think that this movie was trying to explain to every day, like in, in the trap, you know, at the border scene where they were like, this probably won't even make the papers in El Paso. 
where it's like the, the American public kind of needs to know what the fuck is at the doorstep kind of deal. Well, yeah, that, that's definitely one of those things where people become so desensitized to some of this like action or whatever, or so many other stupid things. I don't know if that's a comment, like I said, on people being desensitized to it, or uh, Americans are so fascinated with things that don't actually matter. You know, like, oh my I God. I think it's both. Know? Yeah, Kim Kardashian, you know, wore a thong on the beach. That's going to make the front page news. Whereas something else, like that's what way more important that could actually affect them, is is never going to make the front page news. I, I don't know, Pre- Preston. What do you think? Do you think this was like sort of one of those things that was trying to make a point about government, or do you think it was trying to make a point about the drug trade? What do you think the higher message was in this movie? I I'm not so sure that it's like. Like, I see what I see what Joe's saying, but I, I don't know if this is necessarily one of those cases because I mean, in the greater history of like our country and even other countries, like way worse things have been done. I mean, I I don't know how nefarious it was. Like, yes, it certainly like it wasn't by the books, but I I don't know how. Like, I, I it seems to me like what what occurred might very well be based off like something some kind of true events or i don't i don't just don't i don't know how rare that kind of uh that kind of behavior or that kind of mission is necessarily in in the cia of course we don't really know those things i mean the cia to me is like look we're gonna get whatever needs to be done to like protect our interests (laughs) we're gonna do it okay so nobody and nobody's gonna know about it because we're gonna we we have all the power and and that's how it goes the cia's interest in in their vision the american interest in this scenario whether or not like you know let's not debate that is that we want to maintain some sort of semblance of order and status quo and so our we understand that the cartel is not going to go anywhere so let's get these guys the sonora cartel who are arming at the border and attempting to come over Get them out of the way and put in these Medellin cartels back in power right. who are going to give us a little more respect. The like only one, one, of the, one of the things they talk about in the movie is is they they almost like romanticize about the Pablo Escobar days because he yeah. had so much control over yeah. everything and yeah. they had their own contacts you know, and like this is, to him it, and they, they they knew they knew there was certainty. You know, and I don't, like, that's your classic. Like you that's your classic a, a nostalgia for the Soviet Union type. Back when the like, Soviet Union, we had people who lived here. Now, like, uh, well, it's like but, you could even put Saddam Hussein in this. You know, and be like, well, when Saddam Hussein was there, like things were a little bit more stable. Well, no, yeah, but, Kurds, yeah. But let's be honest. That's what the CIA has been doing. Like they they have constantly, you know, put in their preferred leader. Like I mean, this goes right. back to. Well, you know, to, to to Kermit Roosevelt, you know, in the Middle East and Stuart Copeland's dad, Miles Copeland, like CIA has been doing this for a long time. It's just kind of like now there is no, you well, know, there's no Soviet Union. So they're kind of looking at the, and the cartels force their hand. They're like, oh, guess what, pal? We've been doing shit like this for decades. Well, that's like, why you I, ain't I don't shit. think this is any, I don't think like this is Hollywood out to get the CIA. Not at all. They're just like, this is a, look, this ship happens and mm-hmm. the CIA, like the cartel doesn't play by any rules so the cia has to play by a different rule set of rules well, maybe maybe agenda was the wrong word i wasn't like oh my goodness taylor sheridan is trying to take down the cia i was just more saying that like it did sort of portray the cia as this sort of like shadowy over figure that has way more power right. than you think they did if that makes I, sense I right i think the point a point that needs to be made about 
being a little wary about CIA involvement in domestic affairs is that the CIA's remit is supposed to be foreign intelligence gathering, right? It's supposed to be outside the borders of the United States. And it's kind of the classic MI5, MI6 rivalry, right? It's MI6 is supposed to be foreign intelligence gathering. MI5 is defense of the realm. So it's we get a little bit – Americans are supposed to – we're a little bit wary when – we start hearing that the CIA is starting to tap phone lines of Americans, right? Like that's when that that's when shit gets wary and we get the British to do it. But right. But when the CIA comes home to roost <laughs> on us, then we're like, hey, hey, go back to the Mexican cartel, please. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that's All right. well, well well let's just move on to the ending because we're coming a little bit close to the time or whatever. But um so we've sort of already talked about a, a little bit of everything and touched on everything. But the ending in terms of were you were you, we Budge has actually already talked about this, but I want to get everyone else's perspective. But were you fine with how like coldly portrayed the harsh realities of the situation were with in terms of Benicio del Toro's character got away with everything? Or or would you have liked to see like Benicio del Toro, maybe Josh Brolin have a little bit of consequence for maybe their actions in terms of they didn't exactly play by the book and they, but they completely and totally got away with exactly what they wanted. Like it's almost like Emily Blunt's character was supposed to be the main sympathetic character in all this. And in some ways she wound up losing. She kept her life obviously, but she was sort of wound up losing. Like would, would you like to see everyone get what maybe they deserved or did everyone get what they deserved? What do you think, Budge? Did you I mean, find I, yourself I, being like, let it go, Kate. <laughs> At some point. Yeah. I was like, bitch, you are in over your head. You know, yeah. Like, let that let that let that slide but i mean you know what what, what did benicio tell toro reserved his wife was beheaded and his daughter's own nevada acid and he killed that guy's family like cold-blooded yes yeah but like yeah. you know like it wasn't That's like insane, they didn't man. do the exact same thing to him and the guy even said you know he was about you know he's like it was just business because it was personal to me there you know goes back to like that sopranos kind of question is it is it personal or is it business um well you but, took a lot exactly. more down yeah, I would yeah, like yeah. to make the point that it's a cathartic experience a little yeah. bit to see the bad, the good guys actually get to be freed from the constraints of being like, oh, well, we're supposed to be good and we can't do <laughs> what the yeah. bad guys did to right. us or heaven forbid. You know what I'm saying? Like we fucked them up and like they deserved it. And like that should be the end of the story. I mean, I, I will say this, like what I just don't like what. I don't think the point of the story was to anybody get come up. It was just like an explain explaining the situation. Like, yes, would I like the CIA to go a little more by the book? Correct. But like, they made the point that like when they had the U S attorney in there, it was like, we've been doing this shit. We had, we had twice the amount of arrests we did the year before and major drug cases. Has it changed anything? No. Like, um, so I, you know, I, I guess that's like complicated, and that's like, that's the one that makes you think. You got to think. You're like, you know, it, all all these kind of tactics, okay? But that's that's my one beef with this movie is I never felt like it wasn't like Kate Emily Blunt. Like, not only did she had not have a ton invested in seeing her character, and like I felt like in seeing this thing through the end, but it wasn't like she was portrayed as some like rule follower, right? It wasn't yeah. like she was like you know, like that was the point of the uh, the I forget, his name is Daniel Kaluuya the guy from uh, Black Panther, like that was the point of his character. Like he went to law school. So he's like, look, there are certain beliefs I have. Like you play it by the system. Like these are the rule, the, you know, common law, the American rule of law. Like they're not doing it. That wasn't Emily Blunt's character. 
you know, so I just never quite like. And I also uh, just feel like she didn't, have, she didn't have too much agency. Like she wasn't even like yeah. a badass. She didn't like have any special skill, really. She was just sort of there as, as like our POV character to see everything, which is, uh, I guess, OK. But at the same time, it's like you kind of wanted her, like you said, Budge, to like if you wanted to have like one specific thing to where we mm-hmm. can sort of like gravitate towards. And she really wasn't anything other than kind of like emotional uh, you know like does that make sense like she was she was good at her job she like knew what to do whatever but she she didn't really have too many she didn't have any vices other than like oh i quit smoking cigarettes like that's it right i mean like mm-hmm. so she she wasn't really like struggling with anything she wasn't really doing too much she didn't like she wasn't like there weren't any skills that she had that needed to be like shown throughout the movie it really was she was sort of like this bland she was a very bland character and yeah. but I don't know what they were trying to do necessarily because you're right. I mean, like in every scene where like there was action or like something had to be done, she typically would like kind of wait and see approach. And yeah. I, honestly, I think after like her biggest thing was not necessarily like, oh, they weren't by the books uh, towards the end. I think I think she was just more annoyed that they they used her so that they could do these things. Not not necessarily like, oh, how dare you do that? My, well, see, my, like. Even then, if that was her thing that she felt like, because, you know, she got plucked kind of from obscurity and they were like, oh, we saw something in you. But really what they saw was naivete. Like, yeah, and, yeah, but that's the thing. Somebody too- without a family. So like, but you, but that, that's what I'm saying. Exactly. Oh, Matthew. Yeah. Like, she didn't seem particularly that pissed about that. Yeah. And that's the thing is we were talking about earlier in terms of like, she didn't have that sort of established, oh man, like mm-hmm. almost like, you know, Signs of the Lambs, like Jodie Foster, fresh out of FBI Academy mm-hmm. or something like that, not knowing what's going on kind of thing. It was just sort of like, we didn't really know. She did like what Joe said, didn't establish the character well enough to where we sort of really understood what her motives were throughout the whole movie. She just sort of was, oh yeah, I'm part of a FBI squadron and I kind of, you know, I wish I, my friends didn't die, which again it is a motive but it's not as strong as what we're sort of accustomed to in traditional storytelling so that's just well, and i think reggie in the same book i guess they were both kind of they were serving a similar purpose in that they were just it seemed like they're there to to help them to take to like sign off on this unbeknownst to them and they're kind of just like always skeptical at like, every turn well what's well, a good like, question though so who's the main character if you had to pick, would it be Benicio del Toro's character? Would it be Josh Rold's character? Would it be Emily Blunt's character? It's it's Emily Blunt, but like I think what Matthew, what we're I think what we're kind of getting around and something maybe like helps this is like if you had, and I think this may be what they're trying to do, but it maybe wasn't ineffective to a degree was to have Reggie be like you know the angel on your shoulder and have yeah. Josh Brolin be the devil, like and have her trying yeah. to decide which way she wanted to go. But I didn't feel like that was the case either. Yeah, they they needed to give her sort of like two different realms of whether yeah. she wanted to like like we were sort of maybe my first question yeah. was either I'm I'm a diehard play by the book yeah. kind of person or I'm someone who can bend the rules a little bit. Like, yeah, and, like and, cowboy. Yeah, and you're right, you're right, Budge. Like she had two different sort of influences that she was sort of fighting against, and I think I think that would have made the story a, a little bit more interesting in terms of let's see what this new person's going to do in terms of to break the rules or if she wants to sort how much does she want justice is she willing to break the rules for justice or is she not i, I don't know but like we we didn't get many questions or many answers from her she was just sort of a conduit to sort of different storylines if that makes sense and i don't know yeah. that i don't know if that's a protagonist she just <laughs> she was just a conduit to like Probably get had the most like, minutes you know yeah. most, most scenes so 
that doesn't necessarily she mean wasn't like the that. most interesting character i'll say that yeah yeah and yeah so I, I don't know i mean i i really love the movie that was my one main yeah, i was gonna say it sounds like we're trash with this movie it, it is excellent like, yeah it's a yeah. great movie all right so we're gonna move Please on to the wheel it. we're gonna move on to the wheel here because <laughs> we're we're up to an hour we gotta get to the wheel and then we gotta rate the movie or whatever so we do number one uh would you risk it number two would how would you make it funnier three Always, it's going to land on it. Let's make it sexier. Four, Assassin's Draft. Sit five, A New Career. Six, Here Comes the Sun. Seven, Whammy. Eight, Help, I've Fallen. I Can't Get Up. Nine, Let's Deal Some Drugs. Ten, Respin. Here we go. We're going to do three of these, and we're going to rate the movie. Oh, of course, it lands on Let's Make It Sexier. We always have to answer this question. I know that Joe always thinks about this in the back of his head. So let's make it sexier. The wheel always finds its way on this question. I don't know how it happens, but how would you, Joe, inject a little bit more sexy time into Sicario? Okay, all right. As you can imagine, I've had a little bit of thought about this. I was thinking <laughs> that at the cantina scene where Emily Blunt and uh, Reggie Wayne go and go have a beer at the, you know, West Texas typical, you know, roadside watering hole, right? Honky like, tonk. Honky tonk, right. Um, kind of like the Budge's Country Bunker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, they could have had a couple lone stars. They could have gotten a little tipsy and, you know what I mean? Like something could have happened. And I feel like there was opportunity for Emily Blunt to show some nipples and we missed out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they got intimate, but they didn't get intimate enough for it to like make that's it. What I, that's yeah. what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. There, there was just aggressive dry humping. I even wrote that in my notes. I just said, yeah. "This is pretty aggressive dry humping." <laughs> yeah, it, you know, if you're gonna do it, do it. If you're gonna have a sex scene in an R-rated movie, it's already R-rated, so just go ahead and add to it. It's not like you're jumping from PG-13 right. to R. Yeah. Go ahead and do a little bit of nipple. That's it. Yeah. No, I always find issue with the movies where it's fine if we see someone's head explode but by god like, <laughs> we can't see any shaft or like, <laughs> vagina like heaven forbid you know what i mean it's like what was the hashtag for a while there um instagram like free the nipple or something yeah exactly it's or like, just well, yeah. uh, dude all we really need honest to god is just those like sort of really really stylistic shots of where like a woman with like a nice you know chest whatever takes off the shirt from the back right and we just see them sort of kind of plumply fall like we get that like nice side boob action oh yeah and we get that nice sort of like derriere action that's all we really need it could have been very stylized very cool very, very whatever tasteful. yeah very tasteful you know i'm just imagining in my head right now and it could have been fantastic but we didn't get any of that we got sort of this like oh yeah we're doing something on the couch and it's kind of like oh i see a rubber band yeah, kind you get love making yeah, Preston, how would you have made it sexier? We already sort of like fantasized a little bit about it. What would you have done? I don't, you know, this is the type of movie I can't even think of where, like, how would you make it sexier? <laughs> I mean, I, I think maybe that one scene, like, maybe it's not Ted, maybe it's someone else, and like they actually have sex, and it's a, a good <laughs> scene, you know, like they're like, it's a good love making scene. <laughs> but like, obviously, that would take away from the plot because he's. You know, as you see, he's got the wristband and everything. And it's, did, it's did y'all recognize like Ted? The oh, yeah. He's uh, he's a guy from Punisher. Yeah. John Barenthal. Uh, yeah. He's also a four verse Ferrari. He, I actually think this was like his worst performance. Right? The he's only. Like in it for like eight minutes. 
the only thing I would add to make sexier before we sort of spin the wheel is like we are dealing with drug cartels, right? And most of these people have just like harems of women and drugs and cocaine. That's exactly what like I was going to say, Matthew. You it's like, it's me like we, why are we not seeing this at all? I guess we, they wanted to focus on the nitty gritty and everything about blood. it. And he's like, yeah, exactly. They wanted to focus on the mules going through the tunnels, but let's have a little bit of a reward. So a mule goes through the tunnel. He gets a hundred thousand dollars worth of cocaine across the border. Let's give him, you know, yeah, give him a little bit of something, not just pay, but you know, a little a bit of a little, little bit of pleasure for his work. I don't know. All right, so let's uh, let's all work and no play. <laughs> makes makes work. Alejandro a dull boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, God. All right, number four, Assassin's Draft. So this one's actually pretty unique. So. I've got three people, but you can always add your own. But I was so taken back by Benicio Del Toro's ability just to be a complete badass. Who would you rather hire in terms of you had to kill somebody? Liam Neeson from Taken, John Wick, or Benicio Del Toro in Sicario? You can obviously add your own. Awesome question. Preston, who would you pick? I wish I had a a heads up about this question. Take down an enemy. Had to get through a huge <sighs> amount of guards you can also add denzel washington equalizer i'll add that because i love that movie i know I, let's just let's stick with Liam okay. <laughs> john wick and um and alejandro well it's very difficult because with john wick and liam neeson you're talking about insane kill counts <laughs> i mean like in the in the hundreds above 200 through the movies with alejandro it's uh you've got like this professional killer who's just who's motivated by revenge i guess you could say liam Neeson. well fuck they all are never mind yeah they all are i don't know it's, it's really hard i feel like john wick is the best fighter liam neeson might be the most determined and then benicia del toro is the most stealthy <laughs> and i still have not chosen one dark horse pick would be tom cruise in collateral damage Oh yeah, that's a great assassin too. But he, I mean, that's sort of an int- more interesting pick. I haven't yeah. seen that movie in a really, really long time. I, we, I wish we had like if this was a, a marquee pick, I would have given this a little more thought. But I, I kind of with with Preston. I think if I'm making a movie, then maybe it's John Wick. If I'm in real life, it's probably Alejandro. Yeah, I want Alejandro. Yeah, yeah. John Wick is gonna die uh, at some point. Like he would have been dead so many times. Mm-hmm. Alejandro is like, look, I'm gonna. I'm going to catch you off guard when you're eating with your family, you know, or I'm going to like shoot you from inside of a car and you can't even see me. You know, he, he's like, he's not, he's not going to get too much into the hand-to-hand combat because he's like, you know, he's, he's already like a step ahead of everyone. He's he the most someone. ruthless. He's the most right. ruthless. I feel like by he's far, definitely. the other two sort of have like, I mean, Liam Neeson obviously is ruthless too, because they're all just sort of like people in the would, sex trade. Would he be that ruthless if it wasn't the guy that murdered his family? I guess he killed Silvio. But like, I don't know, but I mean, he's one of those people that is just so motivated. And he also had that like sort of torture scene where he sort of like did sort of like some alpha dog thing where like he stuck his junk in some dude's face, which was kind of weird. I and don't then he know. He waterboarded him, but yeah, yeah. but that's the same. You're, we're good. Those guys were the cartel that killed his family. Yeah, I understand. I'm just saying that like it was it was weird. And I'm just saying that if he's mm-hmm. down to do weird shit, he's probably down to like do more ruthless shit too. That's all I'm saying. I, I mean. John Wick, he's he mostly lives by a code of only killing other assassins, if that makes sense. Leave me some killers. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm just saying, I don't know who I'd pick. I probably pick Benicio del Toro just because I, I do, I do think he's kind of like the sneakiest and maybe yeah. like the one who's like who's 
who's definitely going to get the job done. Like, must, definitely, yeah. he doesn't it's have like he, yeah, professional, yeah. Yeah, and, and he also and like come out alive. And, and like, also, if things fuck up, he's got the law degree to be like, "Hey, I can defend you in a court of law if things really go to shit." So uh, we'll go one more spin, then we'll rate the movie. Number one, would you risk it? All right, so we kind of already talked about how would you make it a little bit more sexier, but this has to do with Emily Blunt. The cartel are after Emily Blunt and could attack at any moment in time during the night. She texts you to come over. Would you do it? Budge. Basically a question of how much would you risk your life to have sex with Emily Blunt if she texts you to come over? Ooh. Didn't have to be just this movie. It could be like her and, and, and... Okay, so let's 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 discuss let's break down which aspects of the cartel are gonna kill me. Is it gonna <laughs> be bullets flying? Like maybe, but if it's gonna be that like torture aspect, like where they leave yeah. the guys like chant chopped up with all their ooh. Uh, with all their um, like, you know. Yeah, you don't want to get dipped in acid over Emily Blunt, but you might uh, like take a stray bullet to the. Correct. Water. Yeah, like I'm not looking to get you know fed alive to pigs, but yeah, if if, if like bullets come flying in the middle of the night while I'm in bed through the window, and, <laughs> you know, it was it might be worth it. Yeah, but uh, Joe, what what would you do? Like, let's say she was just like Joe, I really need you, but I'm in danger. What would you do? <sighs> you know, I'm a scaredy cat. <laughs> So, um, repeat the question one more time. Oh, that's that's basically <laughs> it. That's basically <laughs> it. Is <laughs> you you answered it? Yeah. yeah. You I, in my no. opinion, there's only one answer, and that's no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm sorry. Like uh, I'll move on. It. I'll move on to another relationship or something. Exactly. I, and and I'm not trying I, to get mauled just to <laughs> go like have sexy time or something. As uh, our basketball coach in high school, Coach McCall would say. They're a dime a dozen, okay? So <laughs> there's always more fish in the sea. Oh uh, yeah, that that cliche basketball. Oh, uh, but I would also say that even while Emily Blonde is obviously incredibly attractive, there's no doubt about it. I don't think this is she's meant to be particularly like sexy in this movie. Uh so mm-hmm. like but I know, so like, you know, I guess that, that's gotta make you think about it too. Not a sexy movie. Yeah. It is a uh Unsexy Might be less sexier than Saving Private Ryan. It was. I was almost expecting uh, John Krasinski to come out at, at some point dressed as, uh, you know, zero thirty. Jack Ryan. Well, I mean, she's kind of sexy in like a Sarah Connor kind of way. I, I don't know. I mean, like. Oh, sort of she's like still crazy. very attractive. But oh my god, let me make it clear. I did not mean that she wasn't like a beautiful woman because she certainly is. It's still it sexier than this. Midnight's... Isn't her like? Yeah. It's still sexier than Midnight Special. It's sexier than Saving Private Ryan. I just wish it was. I wish it was a better character though, because like she is a good a good actress, and it was just kind of like we talked about earlier, just kind of like, eh. yeah, it's not not bringing it. Yeah, well, that's a nice segue to our rankings here. So we're gonna move on to our rankings out of twenty five. Let's just go for the characters then right off the bat. Preston, what do you think of the characters out of twenty five? Uh, so characters, I've got a uh, a twenty, and I, you know, I like. I, I, I think we've talked about Emily Bunt's character. I think this 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 twenty is basically made up of Benicio del Toro's character of Alejandro, and you know like Josh Brolin. I swear, like he just play he plays that kind of character so well. It's like it's like a it's it's a mixture of his W character and like somebody you know he just plays kind of that affable. You know I'm chewing gum. I'm sitting here smiling. Chewing I say gum. he's always chewing gum. I'm just, I'm just chewing gum and looking at yeah. you. 
He's like, I know what I'm going to say next. And all this. <laughs> like, he's just, he's just good at playing those kind of characters. And, but I, I, you know, I think for me, Alejandro's is what makes this uh, movie in regards to characters. What do you think, Budge on 25? So uh, it's interesting. This is the first one because it's after our con- it's after this discussion that I I'm gonna drop it an additional point. Um, I, I give it a 23. Um, but and the, and the reason it's still so high is like despite Emily Blunt's like I think it's a good acting performance. I take this two. I gotta take two points off just for that. But the rest of them are excellent. Alejandro is a dark, mysterious character with an interesting backstory. I, I am so glad they cut out 90 percent of his dialogue. Just even though I love Benicio del Toro as an actor. Uh, well, you made it better. I, made it better. Yeah, I think, and then you know, I guess I'm not going to touch back on Josh Brolin because I think Preston just nailed that description. But I really also I thought like the other characters were pretty good too. Like the burn notice guy, like was was like a really funny character, you know, and and like had the mustache. And then like they're kind of like making like laughing with the Texans, and then like the military dudes, they were all just like they just kind of just nailed it nailed the vibe of each sort of like you know the u.s attorney the military dudes the u.s marshals like it was all just you know again and i think it goes back Probably to taylor really sheridan were marshals yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so again yeah two three what do you think joe uh i'm gonna echo a lot of budget sentiments here i'm gonna go michael jordan 23 yeah, I mean, it's really hard to find too many flaws in it. I mean, Mike Budge pretty much nailed it. Preston pretty much nailed it. I'm, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a little bit below Budge, a little bit higher in Preston. I'm gonna go with 21, just because, like I said earlier, I was probably the highest, the biggest critic of just Emily Blunt's character because I didn't really know what she had no agency. She didn't really exist in sort of that narrative. I, I don't know what her kind of point was, and sometimes if her point was just to sort of like be this vehicle for us to see what's going on. That's okay, but at the, same, at the same time, I would like to see like a little bit more conflict in what she was going through, because uh, we didn't really get that. Um, all right, so we're going to go on to acting. Preston, what do you think out of 25? Well, the characters are what they are, but the acting was really good. Uh, I, I, again, I, well, we've said this a lot, but Benicio Del Toro, he just has the ability to say a lot without even saying things sometimes, and this character really fits him and his acting style. Um, Emily Blunt, not the greatest character, but she does it well because she is a great actress. Josh Brolin, usual stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I thought the acting was 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 really good. And oh, and also Daniel uh, Kulea, is that how you say it? Kalu, uh, Kalula, Kaluya, Kaluya. Was was our pronunciation expert? Forget it. Yeah, Kaluya. Uh, <laughs> I, I like. I, I, he's in so many good movies. Get out. I mean. He's just a, a great actor in general. Um, Queen and Slim, if you haven't seen that, holy shit, that's an awesome movie. Uh, so I'm going to give acting a 23. Budge? Um, I, I give this, the I think the acting, I, I would give this a strolled 25 perfect score. If and, I, and again, I like John Barenthal, but I felt his performance in the bar was a little bit hokey. He's kind of like, what can I get y'all? And then it was kind of like <laughs> throwing that beer yeah. around. So yeah, I, I other than that, I give it twenty four. Joseph, what do you think? Uh, twenty five acting. I, I think the performances were solid, and I think that we we took off the marks for the depth depth of character in Emily Blunt's case. But I, like Preston said, she carried it off well, and Alejandro Del Toro's performance was masterful. What can you say? And I love Josh Brolin, so. From all angles, yeah. it's it's a great film. So I'm going to say 24. Great cast. Yeah, 
I mean, I don't, I don't have too much to complain about. I'm going to give it a 24 as well. Just hit on all the same notes you guys have. I mean, I, I thought Josh Brolin was really, really good. I mean, just so convincing as just sort of playing that mind games with every single person, but also had that sort of like cocky demeanor at the same time where he knew, <laughs> he always knew more he than like, it. he always knew more than like what they were letting the audience know and what letting Emily Blunt know. And it just always was infuriating, but also just a great way of sort of just keeping you engaged at the same time. All right, for the music, Preston, what do you got out of 25? Well, just before I say that, I just, I do love how he would go from that, like, affable, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, like, sure, like, I'm being real cool right now to, to all of a sudden just being, like, you know, pissed off, like, yeah, like, this is what we're doing, and then going back to, like, all right, is everybody, how, how we doing, everybody good? He just does that kind of back and forth really well. Okay, uh, music. So, for me... And Matthew, God, I hope you heard it this time because this music, this, <laughs> this score is incredible. Uh, Johan Johansson, uh, who uh, passed away not too long ago, is was like, I mean, the go-to guy if you're trying to do a pulsating like theme, like pulsating score that takes your takes your filmmaking, takes the scenes, takes the scenery to an absolute new level. He did Prisoners. He did Arrival. Uh, he actually did the theory of everything, which are all Denis Villeneuve films. They they are, and the theory of everything, uh, James Marsh film, which uh, a bit of a wild card in in that group of films, totally different, but also really good. He also has worked with Darren Aronofsky uh, on Mother, incredibly crazy film, hard to watch at times. Um, and so, anyway, he had an incredible career. It's sad that he passed away uh, at such a young age, but. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, the this the score was so important in, to this film because, particularly from whether it's like the beginning scene to the ending scene, uh, and 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 really all, all throughout, like it's it's it, it just it's such a percussive and like building type of score. Like after like gunshots or bombs, you've got this like reverberation that like kind of goes on. And it like fades into the silence of the film or into like, this next scene, and it's like it 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 builds so much suspense. And I think that's the maker, uh, like that is a such a huge ingredient for someone who who knows what they're doing. And so for me, I'm I'm giving it a twenty five uh, because I just I think it was uh, an, an extra character in this in this film, and it was such a powerful pulsating score. Yeah, what do you, what do you think, Budge? Uh, I, I got to echo Preston. I thought it was excellent. Um, I think if, if there was maybe one thing I would have added, and this is like the only points I knock off, is I would have liked to hear like some banger tune. Um, <laughs> but in that sense, um, I give it a, uh, I give it a twenty-two. Joe, what do you think? I'm with Preston on this. I think that it, the score really under, underscored the <laughs> urgency of the film. It really gave it a backbone. Really gave it a backbeat. Really pushed it along. And I think that's what a good score does. So I'm going to give it a 24. Uh, I agree. I, I, there was, a, a, in terms of like one scene in particular, when they sort of like are all in those going across the border and those SUVs and stuff like that, uh, yeah. even though the scene mm-hmm. isn't even like that intense in terms of it almost dragged on a little bit long, but it's 
the music made you just want to keep watching these cars right. sort of like drive on the highway. I yeah. really, as far as editing is concerned, I almost was like, yeah, that, that was like three minutes too long or whatever, but it's almost like they just kept it in there because the music was so ridiculous. that it just was like, this is intense without even having intense moments in it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I love it. And I, I do agree with Budge though. Like, I feel like sometimes these movies almost deserve just like one like kick in the ass, <laughs> mm-hmm. like one like, hey, let's throw a stones like, let's just yeah, just like just to sort of get it on. I don't know. This I'm gonna would... give it a 24, but that was about it. Uh, so we're gonna do the plot. Here we go, Preston. What do you think, plot well, wise? That, that would that would be a good question to have. Like like you know, sometimes we say, how do you make it sexier? We could be like, where would you insert a banger of a rock? Team? Yeah. You know, yeah. It, would, it would have been <laughs> like at the bar. <laughs> you know, at the bar or something like, yeah, yeah. let's throw in a fucking. We, we did it. We did that question for uh, Tinker Taylor, and I thought it was kind of fun. So, yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, like, there's definitely some point. Yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll, 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 we'll do some music questions later. I, I kind of forget about that stuff, but let's go with the plot here, Preston. 25. <laughs> so the plot, uh, again, to me, and I kind of mentioned it when I was talking about the score, but like, I, I think the film is bookended by this incredible opening scene and that ending, particularly the ending scene with uh, Benicio Del Toro. Um, that just, to me, that like is, is such a good way of, of, of really like bookending just this film. And I thought the plot was great. You know, I just, I'd, <laughs> like, I'd, I'd never seen this movie. I'd heard so much about it. And I, I think just uh, taking that genre or taking that type of drug film and and kind of putting it on its head and doing something completely different uh was really cool and it was i, I didn't was really unique and and uh I, anyway i gave it a 24 what do you about to say bud I, I didn't realize you hadn't seen this movie have um I not seen it and i was expecting have any had any of y'all not seen it besides preston I, i'd what never were... seen it oh wow okay and, and to me i don't know just what were you expecting sorry well, I was just going to say this, just the story and with like the, the score being so like unnerving at times, like mm-hmm. I just thought it was such a, like the way they were able to build up suspense, um, you know, it's just perfect. Um, Budge, what do you think? Uh, 25. Oh man, I love this plot. I thought this was a great movie. Um, I think I, I gave it a 24. I think maybe, maybe the only knock on it was that I, I would have kind of either, like we just said, insert, and I don't even know if this really goes to character, but just like give me just it, make Emily Blunt's character either by the book, make her a wild card rogue cowboy, or make her struggle with the decision. Uh, and I just didn't think they kind of nailed uh, either, any one of those. But and it's a twenty-four. It's an excellent story, excellent movie. What do you think, Joe? I think Budge hit all of the uh, the nails on the head there. I'm gonna give it a twenty-four. Yeah, I really liked it, but as far as like what Budge was saying in terms, because we didn't talk about uh, no one had seen this movie. I hadn't seen this movie when he said, what are you expecting? I was expecting sort of a hell and high water type of thing where there is that conflict between the cops versus these guys robbing banks, but trying to preserve their sort of livelihood kind of thing. And that's kind of where my questions sort of deviated from. I was like, why aren't we seeing some sort of ambiguity between sort of the evil in this movie? Right. You know, that's sort of what I was, uh, cause I loved hell and high water. We, uh, but I was, I, I, that's what I was sort of wondering in terms of. So I think that, that like what you're, what you're commenting, you were thinking it's going to be more like Taylor Sheridan, but I think this has yeah. a little more like thematically is probably more in line with like Blade Runner 2049. 
Yeah, you're probably right. It's been a film, which is like it. I mean, they're 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 of that same, I think, style. Uh, but yeah, you're correct. Like, I think that's more of a. Oh, that's a cla- Taylor Sheridan's like a classic western, whereas I think Denis Villeneuve has western elements and more noir. I just always wonder in films like this that that kind of steer away from the the more cliche, uh, you know, types in the genre. Like I, I I just wonder if if there was a point in the writing process where like they were thinking about going a certain way and really detailing the cartel, and, and then they were like, you know what, actually we're just going to do this completely differently. Well, you never know. This is really like Taylor Sheridan's like first big big picture in a sense in terms of selling his screenplay i know he'd written maybe like some smaller things in the past but this was like his first one and villain away well i forget we've already sort of so much but i mean like but they probably had all the power in the story in terms Mm -hmm. of yeah we're buying your screenplay but we're gonna do whatever the fuck we want with it and so who knows i mean he taylor sheridan could have probably had different ending could have had like you said budge like he maybe he had a bunch of backstory for benicio del toro and the director came in and goes you know what i like it more mysterious we're gonna cut Mm -hmm. it out who knows what the first draft of this actual story actually looks like so you're you're right preston in terms of the writing process it probably could have been anything not anything basically had the same skeleton but it could have been a lot different and it's almost like one of those things when you see this movie and it's fantastic you still want to go back and juxtapose it to maybe what it could have been like yeah. not since like could have been better but you sort of want to go it's always fun to and like fascinating to sort of like pick up the pieces and go oh they made this choice and that was actually great but they could have done this and like it's always fun to sort of introspectively look at that sort of stuff um, but yeah, so I gave it a 22. I loved, I loved the plot. Like I said, I, I, I wanted a little bit more in terms of like some of the characters, but like in terms of like the backstory with the cartel, but like I said, everyone had a convincing argument in terms of why I was wrong, but I still get to pick 22 out of it. Um, that's going to be I, it. That's going to wrap up. I, our... I would, I would, like, can we get, just get one last word in here? Because I feel like we didn't do it enough justice. We've hit on it, but it, <laughs> it was worth noting because we did the score, but you know roger deacon's obe that cinematography was incredible but like that mm-hmm. last scene through the tunnel the way it was shot with the like night vision and all that was i mean oh that, that was, was that was awesome i had a lot of questions like just about night vision in general and like how much because like there were there was like two kinds you know mm-hmm. and i was like i know that night vision i've seen that in movies yeah. but what if it's heavy movie? then it's expensive but they they filmed like they didn't do right. that in post they filmed it with that which i think is pretty cool oh really yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, we just make no, those joking. are the scenes where Emily Blunt's character could have showed out and you know been like a badass. Well, that's when we would like out. to see an x ray vision, right? Mm-hmm. Right, Preston could have made it a little bit sexier. Um, all right, so that's gonna wrap up Sicario for us. We don't really know, we haven't talked about what we're gonna do next, but I'm sure we'll figure it out. But, um, Budge, any anybody got some last parting words before we say goodbye? And also, before we end, we want to say again, you're still listening, we are part of Boot Crew Media now, so if you're Want if you enjoy our podcast, go check out every other podcast that Boot Crew has because they're producing lots of quality content. And it's going to be a great, great way to expand our, not just our show, but their media company also. So, last parting words, what do you think, Budge? Budget makes me feel good. <laughs> uh, anyone else before we kick it off to Preston? What, what's the name of the song? Uh, the name of the song, which you'll hear at the intro uh, and the outro. Now. So, we're going to use it for and both. the outro. Okay. Yeah, is uh, it's called "Can You Front It"? It's an original, um, it's obviously instrumental piece of a buddy of mine who I play with out here a lot. Um, various projects he did. We recorded it in Santa Rosa a couple years ago with some great musicians out of Sacramento, and it was a lot of fun. 
got that California feel. Thank you. 